The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, yo, yo! Welcome to another episode of Round Ball Ramble. I'm your host Corbin Forge. You can find me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. This is a hoop ball presentation, so you already know what to do. But in case you don't, check out hoop ball online hoop dash ball.com or on twitter at hoop ball tweets got a lot going on right now including fantasy nba today got your fantasy nfl today got our hoop ball loyalty program starting our 2021 2022 draft guide coming out a lot of stuff to be sure so definitely make sure to hook that up again hoop ball tweets on twitter hoop dash ball.com but for ourselves for today's show i am honored humble to have good buddy fellow sbc alum Anna Rudon today to talk Mavericks and just general basketball. Bro, how you doing, man? I'm great. Been a busy week, but how have you been? Oh, man, I feel that. It's, yeah, it's been a crazy week. It feels like it's been one day blurring into the other. And, like, it's always six, you know, it's always, like, eight o'clock whenever I'm, like, actually, like, lucid. It's eight o'clock, and I'm, like, almost tired you know what i mean like like ready for the next day it's it's been a mess i don't even think that sentence made sense that's how crazy everything just feels dead at this point oh man yes entirely it's been like i enjoyed immensely my experience going out to vegas and meeting you know yourself and other cool folks and having sbc and that was great but i feel like in terms of like the normal flow of back into you know my normal days yeah i'm still trying to get adjusted it's like stepping out of a pool getting cool and then going back in you know, just yeah, just one chaos, chaotic week. That was fun, but going back to normal is a bit weird after that. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of that, I shared um actually last episode on my personal experience. How did you like SBC in general? What was your personal like thoughts on it? Uh, what you take away? Like, like share your experience. I definitely want to get people that are coming on with me about this. It is kind of hard to describe sometimes. I, I call it a cross between like a boot camp and like an educational experience. But uh, what was your take on it? I think it was just kind of a cool experience where, you know, like we always, I think everyone who wants to kind of work in the NBA has a feeling of like what they expect it to be like. Mm -hmm. And every fan is always will have that moment where they're like, Oh, I should, I could have made that decision better. Or I would have done this if I was in that spot, but actually being next to some of these teams and watching them. And then also hearing what people who are actually in the industry do, it gives you a whole new experience. Like I just remember from the trade deadline, that was one of the most chaotic things I've ever been part of. And I have a whole new level of respect for all these team owners now. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It wasn't, that was something else, man. I mean, I had some like previous experience doing like the virtual one, but it has, it doesn't light a candle to being there. And, and, you know, and, and that's another thing, like, you know, you make decisions on your own. Like I've done, I play in basketball GM. That's a game I play all the time. I used to play 2K before that. Like I'm used to in my head of like building a team and working on my own, but the team atmosphere, the team aspect of it is definitely different too. You come up and you're like, hey, you know, we're in charge of team X and we're clearly rebuilding, right? And then the team's like, well, actually, no, I don't think so. And you're like, wait, what? Like it's 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 a collaborative approach that is definitely a shock, but in, in a good way. Yeah, it's definitely just one of a kind experience that, it teaches a lot once you actually get in there and start to work with it. Oh, 100%. Definitely. I, I mean, I'm glad, obviously, I met you and others there, but I highly recommend. But I definitely want to get your thoughts on that, so I really appreciate you sharing that, man. But um, well, let's talk about these Dallas Mavericks. They have had an interesting year. Um, I think it almost felt in some ways 
carbon copy of last year, and maybe I'm being way too general, but in terms of having, you know, 40-plus wins, losing against the Clippers, I think this series was a whole lot closer on, on account of the greatness of Luka Doncic, but the Mavericks finished uh, ninth in offensive rating, uh, 20th in defensive rating. They were 11th in net rating. They did lose, of course, to the Clippers in seven games. Um, but Luka Doncic did play out of his mind, um, especially, you know, I, I want to say at the for early part of the series, I mean, he put that team on his back and he kept it up too. It was just really funny to um, kind of see him build off the performance from last year, even though I thought this team this year was worse. But coming from someone who follows the Mavericks a lot closer than I, I, I guess my first question to ask you, um, what is your own uh, personal recap uh, of the season for Dallas? So I think just the season in general for every team was just so weird with COVID. But the thing that people forget is the Mavs had one of the worst COVID outbreaks of the entire NBA. I think it was the Celtics, the Mavs, and then the Raptors in terms of games actually missed. And then the problem is, is unlike the Wizards and some of these other teams, we didn't actually get to cancel any of our games except that one weird week where we had this winter storm in Texas. But so you had a lot of weird games where like, I remember there was one game where the lineup was Luca, Josh Green, uh, West Wundu, James Johnson, and Boban as your starting lineup. And I don't know. I just, to me, that's not a perfect lineup <laughs> as much yeah. as I love Boban. But overall, I think everyone remembers the season starting off weird where Luca like barely could hit a three. But you start to see some really interesting improvements. So first couple of games, Luca doesn't hit anything. It looks really bad. He's still a great passer. But you slowly start to see like, he's hitting a bunch of new mid-range shots that he didn't do before. This guy was an okay shooter, not that great from the outside, not that great from the free throw line, but he was average, slightly below, but he was hitting difficult shots, so you always kind of like accepted it. But he was mainly a guy who got to the rim and passed out. This year, though, he became a pretty lethal shooter by the end of the season, where he was hitting, he was one of the most lethal pull-up shooters, especially on the left side that's always his favorite spot ever since that he hit that game winner against the Clippers. Now he hit like four more game winners from the same area. Wow. But you have Luca, who's always going to grow and you started to see a lot of growth in Jalen Brunson, our other 2018 draft pick, kind of a smaller guard who may not always seem like he can get to the rim, but this year he was one of the most efficient uh, rim finishers. He's kind of like uh, LeBron in the sense that like you don't always see him getting to the rim and he doesn't always, isn't always as aggressive, but when he gets there, he's super efficient. Mm, definitely. Definitely. He's one of my favorite guys in terms of being underrated. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you in terms of uh, someone who has been kind of slept on, I think, and, but has really done a good job of reducing over the last couple of years for Dallas. Yeah, for sure. I think everyone knows that the biggest problem that Dallas has right now, especially in the playoffs is you need a second ball handler. Luca, I'm sorry, cannot do it all on his own. I think James Harden can tell everyone exactly how that feels for the last couple of years in Houston, <laughs> but having Jalen Brunson who also missed the playoffs last year because of shoulder surgery, this was the first year that we got to see him play in the playoffs. It was kind of disappointing, but it was just good to have that under a year under his belt. For sure. For sure. And having, like you said, having someone that could, kind of at, get those reps in and I I guess I mean looking at the season that was I mean we brought it you said it was 
I didn't even realize just how effective they were by COVID. So thank you for bringing that up because you get lost. Like a lot of teams are impacted from, but Dallas did have a, a little bit of funkiness going on there. You know, they go in the playoffs. What did you think about the playoff performance for Dallas uh, against the Clippers? Because I'm not going to lie. I was very critical going in about the supporting cast for Dallas. And honestly, uh, it changed a little bit. I think you had good performances from Tim Hardaway Jr. especially and Boban Marjanovic as well in, at, at points, but it, it wasn't enough. I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith had his moments, but it wasn't enough for me to change my opinion greatly of the supporting cast around Luka Doncic. What, what was your observation of that series from someone a lot closer to the Mavericks? I think last year, after coming off the bubble, the impression that I kind of had was only if we had Porzingis, where you had this crazy game one where he gets ejected and it looks like the Mavs are going to win, but he gets ejected, we lose. Uh, game two, Luca goes off. And then it's a slugfest of a series, but KP gets hurt. He's out for the season. And Luca just has some ridiculous games. And you feel like, oh, if we just had KP, we could win this. Mm-hmm. And then we go into this year where seemingly we're all healthy. The only guy who was really had any issues was Maxi Kleba, who had a sore Achilles, I believe. Yeah. So we were relatively healthy from that standpoint and we were going against the Clippers who were also relatively healthy except for Serge Ibaka. So it felt like, okay, this could be our year. However, first two games happened and it was kind of a mixed bag where obviously like whenever you see that your team is hitting like 67% of your three pointers, you kind of have to say hats off, you win. Yeah. But on the other hand, it kind of felt like the Clippers were just giving up a lot of easy threes to us. And especially when you saw the way they were trapping Luca, they would just let Dorian Finney-Smith flash to the middle and kick it up to someone who's open. And usually it was Tim Hardaway. And when Tim Hardaway is hot, you're not stopping him. Yeah. But game three was a turning point where first game back in Dallas, I think everyone is lighting up the Clippers at that point, thinking that, oh my God, they're going to get swept. Mm-hmm. And First few minutes go, and yeah, it looks like the Clippers are going to get swept. Luka is just hitting every single shot. I don't think he missed a shot for, until he left that game. Wow. And he leaves, and suddenly a 30-16 to 16 point deficit just drops, and it's over. You go back to game five, Luka pulls some heroics, but it's not enough. Kawhi goes on one of the craziest games I've ever seen in game six. Mm-hmm. matching what Luca did pretty much. And it was kind of over at that point. You felt it, it felt inevitable that as good as Luca was, when you have Kawhi going off like that and you have the supporting cast that he has with Reggie Jackson just hitting every shot coming up and Paul George playing solid, Mavs were overmatched. I agree. I agree. I think you did a great job breaking that. Oh, oops. Oh, I think you did a great job breaking that down as well because – it did feel at first, I was like, wow, okay, the Mavs were hot. Like you said, they were knocking down a, a bazillion threes. And, yes, yeah, some of that was okay. You know, you make that many threes, fine. But it didn't feel like – I didn't think the Clippers were going to wake up from that. I felt like bad defense and the conundrum that is Luka Doncic was forcing them into situations that gave the Mavericks the advantage there. But you're right. Once it, it, it swung, it, it definitely notably did swing, um, especially once Kawhi really got going. There, there was nothing there, and ultimately I think that was – where it ended for the Mavericks. By the time we got to game seven, I think game six was like their really best chance chance. Um, and even then it was, it was, it was just rough. Um, but looking from that, you know, from the ashes of that playoff series, the Mavericks made sweeping changes to their front office that have been around for a while. Um, out is Donnie Nelson and Rick Carlisle after 
well into two decades of service for one and just greatly approaching that for Carlisle and the other. And income two, you know, I want to say relatively unknown in comparison. I mean, Nico Harrison is general manager. And then, of course, he's not he's not. I'm not underwhelmed, well known. He's he's pretty well known, but just new in terms of coaching and at a head coach uh, position, given where he was in previous stops with Milwaukee and Brooklyn before that, and Jason Kidd. So you look at that, you have those two out in Nelson and Carlisle. You bring in these two in Harrison um, and Kidd. What are your thoughts on? Let's just talk about the whole front office in general, how they did make those changes, the kind of court uh, palace intrigue that's going on, you know, between. Um, well, basically anybody that's at the top uh, uh, for um, Mark Cuban and just kind of the, the, the volume for power that apparently exists within that organization. Yeah, so I remember uh, Tim Cato of The Athletic had that article that came out talking about um, yeah. kind of the discord within the front office between, uh, I forgot the guy's name, Harlebob and uh, Donnie Nelson, just some the overall amount of power that these guys seem to have. It, some, it seemed like Harlebob had a lot of power, a lot of input, especially towards Mark Cuban, who from all the owners, it seems like he's kind of one of the guys that likes to have his hands on things a little more than others. But if you look at the Mavs as a whole for the last couple of years, they've been kind of the stagnant organization. Ever since that 2011 championship, they haven't really made any big splashes. They've kind of just tried to improve their team slowly, but never really got that right free agent who could come in and just actually make a real change. And at first my, when I saw that uh, Donnie Nelson was out, it was kind of like, okay, we're finally making a change. Cause eventually I think if you have the same guy for a long time, something's got to give. And just having a new fresh voice, especially someone like Nico who kind of brings in a different type of, skill set where he's more connected to the players and he has this kind of like marketing edge where he's with from Nike. I think that kind of value is a little different than what Donnie Nelson had, but then the Carlisle stuff happened and that threw me off completely. And it wasn't really that I would have understood if it was the Mavs letting go of Carlisle, but it was Carlisle leaving the Mavs. And that threw me off because to me, the number one situation a coach would want to be in is where a, I have leverage within the organization, which I think Carlisle did at that point. He's been the coach for so long. He was their championship coach. He kind of has that authority established. And then also you have a generational superstar next to you that you can grow up with and you can coach. So it's not like your job's going to be really insecure. And to see Carlisle say, I want to leave this situation threw me off because it means that something is terribly wrong with the mass. And there has to be something going on. I, I agree 100%. I think that was definitely a warning sign because, I mean, even going in, he did say that, you know, he expects to be coach of the Mavericks unless, of course, Mark Cuban changes that. Well, Mark Cuban didn't change that. And yet, Rick Carlisle is no longer coach of the Mavericks. So at some point in time, you know, whether that's dissension, in fact, that's a question I want to ask you. What do you think is kind of the power structure or was the power structure between Rick Carlisle and Luka Doncic? Because obviously there was tension there, but I don't think if you willingly going to walk away from a team with a player of that talent, of that caliber as Luka Doncic, to go to a Pacers team where, I mean, let's be real, they're nowhere near that, but you have more control in terms of 
you know, being able to put your, your, your imprint on that team. I don't mean to presume uh, to, to understand the reasoning for Carlisle, but do you think that there was something there for why he decided to, to part ways with that? Do you think that Luca was part of that and it wasn't just the drama in Dallas that just kind of was there overall? To be honest, I don't think Luca had much to do with it just because from all we've seen from Luca, he's never been the kind of guy that goes outward and tries voice his opinion a lot. He's always kind of stayed quiet about the team managers. He never really talked about players on his team other than praising them. He's never been that kind of guy who's said, criticized the coach's decisions a lot. It's really usually he's always kept it inside. And I think uh, it was obvious that he had some flare-ups with Carlisle. Mm-hmm. But to me, it never seemed like he got to a point where they had a toxic relationship. And Carlisle always seemed to kind of enjoy Luca at some point. Like he would always heap praises on him. He'd always talk about comparing him to Bird. And I think if there was truly a toxic relationship, some of that would not have been happening. Fair. But I think once Donnie Nelson left, it was kind of a sign that, okay, things are no longer going to be the same way they were. And I think Carlisle saw that and said, okay, I want to try going somewhere else. And I might not like what's going to be here. Got you. Okay. That makes a little more sense in terms of him seeing other factors than just that. I'm glad you helped me out of that because I wasn't quite sure. And I'm like, eh, you know, is it a thought? And now I know. So that's cool. I guess it was some more clarity there. But regardless, it definitely was a rather troubling situation, I would imagine, as a Mavericks fan, and a rather confusing one from the outside looking in, other than, wow, you know, stuff's going crazy in Dallas. But um, looking at the front office, we already talked about, I mean, looking at the offseason, we already talked about the front office, kind of what your thoughts are on that. Um, about the moves that Dallas made this offseason, obviously, not having any draft picks, you know, retaining um, the free agents. They could have made some big moves, you know. Uh, I thought they should have gone to DeMar DeRozan. I don't know what your thoughts were on uh, Kyle Lowry uh, or how you feel about, you know, who they ultimately ended up bringing in, which was like Reggie Bullock, Sterling Brown, and retaining Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, Just going into it, you can kind of go in any order you want. Uh, Looking at what Dallas has exited uh, free agency with, uh, what, what, what are your thoughts? So I think the biggest thing Dallas saw after the playoffs was, okay, we need a secondary ball handler. And unfortunately, the only guys that seemed to really be available who could fill that role were a bunch of older guys. Kyle Lowry, Mike Conley, uh, Goran Dragic, which still may be available. But you had all these older point guards who they could definitely bring value, but I think at the cost it was going to be, it might have been a little risky. And you saw Dallas go after Kyle Lowry pretty hard. But eventually, it seemed like he wanted to go to Miami, so that option was kind of off the table. And Mike Conley, it seemed like he really wanted to stay in Utah. So it kind of left Dallas with, okay, you have Goran Dragic and maybe a couple others. I think they could have taken a little bit more of a look at Lonzo Ball. But even then, Lonzo isn't the – I think he isn't really the secondary creator they're looking for, but he would definitely be a much better piece. Um, But let's say we – Dallas – struck out and they didn't have any of these second creators. Well, okay. What else can you do to fix the team? Number one, increase your shooting. Despite the reputation, Dallas isn't a good three point shooting team. They really have only like two or three guys that you can trust who can shoot. And one of them is Tim Hardaway. He can be kind of hot or cold, Maxi Kleba and occasionally Brunson. But that was kind of it. Those are your shooters other than Luca, even KP it's kind of it changed towards the end of the season where I think he started to struggle a little more, but that's kind of your core of shooters. You still need someone 
ever since we lost Seth Curry, we needed someone who could fill that role. So I think if you go by who are the best shooters on the market, Reggie Bullock definitely fills that mold. A nice 3 and D wing who can shoot the ball well and hold his position, at least defensively. And Sterling Brown, who kind of had an aberration, I think, of the season last year in Houston where he shot really well. But I still think he's a serviceable player that can fill in. Definitely. I like um, Sterling Brown, like you said, in terms of like someone can come in and, and just give you a little bit of, of something, energy, a little bit of three-point shooting, whatever the case may be. Uh, you made a great point, Reggie Bullock, shooting, what, 41% from three last year with the Knicks, shooting 39% overall on decent volume. Like, he knows his job. I mean, this was um, not even – he had six attempts per game last year, and that's only basically his third best three-point shooting year over his career in terms of attempts. So, definitely cool to see that. I, I, I guess a lot of it, it hinges on – well, I guess Lucas still then, and the cast that they already have, since these guys kind of help but don't really move the needle in a major way. And I consider Hardaway Jr. more of a retention than a new guy being brought in because he was kind of already so integral to the Mavericks' success so far. So looking at, you know, Dallas's roster plus these additions, you already mentioned, you know, Maxi Kleba and um, Hardaway Jr. Uh, of course, Luca, he's on another level. They brought back Boban. Um, I guess the one question I really have, uh, Willie Collie signs around as well, but Chris South Porzingis, oh, I don't think he's that second guy. Do you? I don't think you show that he can be a second yet guy yet, but there might be hope. You so, still, okay. Where do you see it for him then? So I think if you look back at that bubble run, that was probably the most optimistic view of what you could have between two stars where you had Luca and KP both nearly averaging 30 points. And KP was a real defensive force where he could block a, block a shot at the rim and then come over and shoot from 30 feet away. He was his unicorn self. And I think this year we kind of have to see whether it was kind of an aberration because KP had to delay surgery. He didn't know when the season was starting and he was planning on having a surgery a lot later. So I don't know how much of an effect the fact that this is KP's first healthy off season that potentially could show a lot more, but offensively these two are perfect for each other. Cause if you look at the pick and roll numbers, they're still one of the most efficient duos in the league. I think they've led the league for the last two years. Wow. And the real problem is defense. KP, for him to be successful and offensively, you need him to play the five. Because otherwise, you can just do what the Clippers did and just switch a wing onto him. And that's not going to end up well. (laughs) So if you want to play him at the five, he needs to be able to protect the rim. And last year was his absolute worst year. He could not protect the rim at all. And that's kind of what led Dallas to playing two bigs where they would have Dwight Powell next to him or uh, Willie Cauley-Stein or sometimes Boban, where you'd have someone who could anchor a little more of that rim protection and rebounding. But when you do that, KP kind of becomes a spot-up guy in the corner. And I think that's kind of the biggest issue is how do you balance that? And really the only way you, I see that going forward is KP needs to show that he can protect the rim and play at the five full time. True. Do you think that Injuries might have taken their toll in terms of his role and that, like, he's just not reliable enough to be a second option? I think it's – I think the answer is getting closer to, yeah, he's probably not going to be that same player. Mm -hmm. But I think this is a critical offseason where he finally has a healthy offseason. He can show up and say, okay, everything before now has been kind of a fluke where it got hurt, it got hit. This is my first time getting to prove myself. And if he shows up well, it's two things. Either 
he raises his trade value, so he could be traded somewhere else and get something back, or he's good enough to play next to Luca and be a secondary guy. Got you, and I get you, and I'm, I mean, I'm hopeful. I think Chris Altat's had kind of a bad rep, just a little bit. I think, like you know, the hate he, I think some of the criticism was deserved, and then it leaned too far one way that I kind of feel bad for him. I just don't know if I feel high on him as that guy, and I think that the first step to him being able to find a role more properly suited for him is to not have that real expectation on him. But now you give me some thought that, okay, maybe it's a possibility that he could still live up to that. He's only 25, going to be soon to be 26. So there's hope there. Um, But looking at that, aside from him, uh, which guy do you see on this roster that you think has a chance to be a breakout player uh, next year for Dallas? So I think there's a couple of guys, Josh Green, the rookie from last year, I really like. Uh, he didn't get much of an opportunity with Rick Carlisle, who doesn't really play, play rookies that much. Mm-hmm. But he's a guy who's this athletic two-guard, can play on the wing, plays his ass off on defense. Not a great shooter yet, but in the there was this uh, game against, I think it was the Hawks, where Josh Richardson was starting and he was just playing really bad the first two quarters. And Carlisle put in Josh Green, and immediately the game turned around. That guy's energy is just off the charts, and he's the perfect kind of guy just to have next to Luca, who is willing to go catch lobs, be a constant defensive presence, who can be a pest on the perimeter. That's a guy I would look at. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith, I think, is just underrated in the league. Yeah, The amount of stuff that that guy has to do defensively for this team, he's a solid defender on the wings, and he's become a really good offensive player these last couple of years. His three-point percentage has always been rising. His attempts have gone up in the last two years. He's just been a solid player. Okay, I'm with that. I think that the energy, like you said, for Green is something that will, could be contagious for the team and definitely a, a much-needed shot of that. And Dorian Finney-Smith, I agree with you, especially the way he's made improvements in this game, first with the shooting, then with just some more offensive awareness. I'm with you. I can see that possibly you know, going up another level to at least be like another steadier, um, even more of a steadier contributor than he already is, which is saying a lot. Um so I guess kind of going into the last, well, one of the last questions here, moving forward, you know, we see what where Dallas was so far. They've been a first round team. Uh, a lot of that just, uh, just on the basis of the quality of opponent they played more so than anything else, but we've seen them where they were. We saw the offseason additions they made, you know, taking stock of the West right now, not sure where the Lakers are. The jazz are still kind of there. Phoenix still kind of there. The Clippers lost Kawhi is kind of big. You know, there's, there's still some room. D- Dallas, Denver still doesn't have, um, Jamal Murray and, and won't for most of the year. So where do you see Dallas kind of fitting in both like in the regular season and just kind of their own outlook moving forward? I think this year is just such a weird year with all the injuries in the West. Yeah. But if I had to pick a place, I think they would still be around that six to four area where I think the Lakers are clearly better. The Suns are clearly better. Utah, I have a few questions about. Um, Me too. <laughs> But then Denver, Jokic is a monster, but without Murray, how much of that offense has been struggle? And I think if you go past that, the Mavs are probably what's left. The Clippers, I just have no idea what to think without Kawhi. They're a solid team, but they show well off in the playoffs, but I don't know how they sustain that in regular season. True, true. It, it, it's, it's a lot there in terms of where they fit in in that whole deal. Yeah. But the funny thing is, like, if it was literally any coach other than Jason Kidd, (laughs) I would have this team a lot higher. And if it was any person other than Luca, I would have this team a lot lower. 
Wow. So it really just comes down to the margins, a better coach and a worse star player. And it might be a totally different outlook. Yeah. I think this, they have a lot, this team, the way they're operating, they have a lot of solid role players, Mm -hmm. but if you look at uh, Memphis as a team, I like to look at in terms of roster construction where they have John Morant, they have Jaron Jackson, but they have a lot of solid role players around the edges. They still have Tyus Jones who can be your backup point guard, who is a solid point guard. They have D'Anthony Melton. They have uh, Dylan Brooks. They had Jonas Valanciunas. Now is Steven Adams, I guess. <laughs> but wow. I think when you have level of depth like that, then your team can sustain a little more without your star having to be nuclear every day. The exit, you mean? There's no there's the pressure of that. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. I'm with that. Okay. I mean, it's just interesting to see where they could fall in that whole deal because I look at Dallas right now and I, th- I think what I want to say four or five. Could, do you see that? Or do you see them more in that six to eight playing game range? No, I think they're solidly in that four to five area, unless they have some bad luck in the beginning of the season. But I think they're pretty established in that four to five area. Maybe it creep up to three, depending on how some of these other teams play out. Mm-hmm. but that's probably right around where they are. And then once it gets to the playoffs, I mean, it's Lucas, so you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> that guy can single-handedly carry you past any team, I think. It's kind of – it's been incredible to see what he's been doing in the Olympics where he took a team of, I think, one other NBA guy. Yeah. And they were this close to beating France off of a block by Nicholas Batum. How fitting. It has to be another clipper in there. <laughs> <laughs> very true to the end there has yeah. to be one you're right it blocked on every turn man I, I didn't even think about that but yeah you're right I mean the way he's able I, I can't think of another I mean I can think of a few players but like maybe a LeBron and I don't mean to say that in that in as direct a way as I am but in terms of saying you don't have to build a roster around him he'll lead that team to better than, than expected heights even though those heights of course aren't championship of the case may be you look at that team you add him to it, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know, take any other, like, I don't want to say replacement level star, but some stars, the, the portability there, they have to have a team constructed a certain kind of way. Like LeBron is optimal around shooters, but he can play. We saw early Cavs teams. You saw the first team we won with the Lakers. Like he can play with a variety of players and still make that stuff happen. Yeah, for sure. Luca's just that kind of player where he'll make the best out of anyone who's around him. You can put a bunch of average shooters and he'll take you probably to the first round where Dallas was last year, but a better, better surrounding cast around him. He can probably take you to the championship. That's just who he is as a player. Exactly. It's, it's, it's really crazy. Well, I, I do got to say, I mean, where do we see Luca next year? That's my last question. Luca centric. I mean, is he in the MVP conversation? Uh, all NBA, obviously like, where do you, do you see him getting uh, another solid year? Does he reach new heights this year? Where, where are you looking at? I think it's kind of hard to say because, Mm-hmm. That first year was already incredible as it is. And then that second year happens and it's like, this guy's doing what no one else other than maybe LeBron and Magic have done. And the third year happens where it kind of goes under the radar, becomes a really good shooter, especially from that mid-range. I think in the playoffs, he was a third best pull-up shooter next to Chris Paul and Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. And no one talks about how good of a shooter he was. Everyone talks about his free throw shooting, but he was a really good shooter. And sure, that could fall off, but... I think Luca is just kind of that guy where he'll get better at whatever he feels like he wants to. I think his aggression, especially going towards the rim this year, came off a little bit. I don't know if that has to do with the way he started off with his body 
But if he has a better offseason, and I think being in the Olympics helps with that, where he'll be in a little more better shape, he'll probably be another MVP candidate next year. Wow. I mean, it's in play. It's in play. When the sky's the limit for a guy with that type of talent. You know what I mean? I, I mean, think he's I've been... been an MVP candidate for the last two years. So yeah. it's not like it's much to say that he's going to continue on that streak. True. And it's not also as if next year it isn't wide open in terms of MVP race. I don't even know if you have a favorite right now. About to pick a favorite. I don't know. Let's go with Kevin Durant. You know what? Hopefully that actually, that's, that's a heck of a fit. No, you're right. That's a heck of a favorite. I, I do like that one. There you go. <laughs> that, that's the solid again, I mean, we, how much did the big three play together this year? Those guys weren't in the MVP conversation because they didn't play much. So that's, yeah. you never know. That is true. I'm a little more pessimistic on them only because I think that they kind of cannibalize their own chances, you know, but I've been wrong before. And also Kevin Durant is just that guy. <laughs> so Kevin I'm, Durant is just a different animal. I, I don't <laughs> understand that, man. I Me mean, neither, man. It, it's, it's devastating. I mean, it, it's, it's apparent, like watching him on social media and watching him in the court, someone who I laugh like, oh my gosh, he's hilarious. And yet he causes so much literal fear on the basketball court. I think to me, as a Mass fan, he's the closest thing to Dirk I've seen in terms wow. of like the way he plays, mm-hmm. where it just feels like whatever you do, he's going to get a shot off. It doesn't matter how tall you are or how good of a defender you are. He'll just get his shot off, and it's going to go in. Yeah, and there's nothing you can do. That's that. Yeah. That's true. I mean, when he misses, I feel like it's it is a joke, but it's almost like he chose to miss. That's how automatic his shot can be. Yeah, it's just... He's on a different level. It's frightening. I mean, when you can go in an interview and say, you know who I am, and then say your name, and everyone is like, yeah, we do. That, that's all it really takes. Yep. Well, I got to say, man, uh, thank you for coming on and joining. I do have one last question to ask all my first-time guests. Uh, you know, it's funny. You're actually the first that I really asked that. Um, but I've said to other first-time guests I would. I never got around to it. So here I am. Um, <laughs> I need your top five favorite players of all time. And when I say that, I mean, it's just something interesting I like to hear. But, like, you know, they don't have to necessarily be your best. I mean, my top five, I'm just going to shout it out. Listen to this podcast, probably already know. But if you don't, brace yourselves. I have Russell Westbrook, Terry Rozier, who just got a big extension. Props to him. Monte Ellis, Latrell Sprewell, and Michael Beasley. Those guys get it up. They get in the basket. They have their own little uh, centricities. But I am a fan. So I have to ask you, Anarod. Solid squad right there. There you go. You said it. Thank you. Like, you get it. They get buckets. Like, am I asking them to play defense? No. Am I asking them to the championship? No. But my personal top five and, and bomb all Would you want to play with them? Of course. Uh, exactly. Ex- oh, dude. The vibes, man. The all vibes team, bro. Absolutely. I might not get a shot in inch wise, but like, that's fine. You know, I'd marvel at the talent. But now I ask you, who are who are your top five favorite players? Uh, what's your what's your pantheon of players? I think to me, the guys that I tend to like are Defenders and passers. Those are my two favorite qualities I love. So Draymond has to be up there. All right. Kevin Garnett is another one. Solid. Andre Karolenko, guy who kind of gets forgotten by the modern NBA fan, but yeah. he was a monster for a while on Utah. AK-47, one of the greatest nicknames, too. True. And then Jokic is just it's kind of it's amazing just to watch him. Savant. It feels like it's so effortless with the way he passes off. He'll grab a rebound with one hand and just immediately flick it to the other side. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, man. It really is. And the other guy, I got to have my guy, Luca. It's just, he he makes everything perfect. 
he, yeah, he ties it up together. He's the, he's the straw that stirs the drink there. So you you got it. You have Luca, you have AK forty seven, got Andre Karolinko. You have Draymond Green. You have Kevin Garnett, and then you have um, Nikola Jokic. Yep, there it is. That's a solid top five. I need this podcast as a record of that. I definitely like that squad. Bro, I, I, Anna, thank you for coming on and being the guest. Uh, dude, there's an open-door policy, so please, if you don't want to talk other teams, you want to just talk general NBA stuff, holla at your boy, and we'll make it happen. Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, just look out for him. You'll be hearing from him real soon. Uh, thank you again, man, for coming on. All right. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, absolutely, man. And listen, y'all, definitely make sure to check out this pod just for this great content and more. Check me out on Twitter at CorbinNBA. I always say it. Hoopball, hoop-ball.com on Twitter at Hoopball Tweets. When by the time you hear this, going to drop during the weekend. So I hope you enjoy your weekend wherever you may be, whatever you may be doing. Uh, and for Anarud, for myself, we Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty. And I'll talk to y'all real soon. All right. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.